Um, if you have not been with us, if you're visiting or you're a guest this week and uh, you are here, we have been in a series called The Prodigal God. It's based on a book um, by Tim Keller and it's actually based on the story found in Luke chapter 15 of the two lost sons. And so we are uh, walking through that and our small groups are going through that as well. And so uh, as we've gone through the last couple of weeks, uh, we've discovered a few things and let me just kind of catch you up to speed. And when Jesus told this parable, or actually these three parables found in Luke chapter 15, you have to understand that there were people around him and there's a culture around him and there's a context to this that if we don't understand that maybe changes the meaning of this story for us a little bit. And so as we've looked at this and we've looked at this culture and we've looked at these people, we found two groups of people around Jesus. One were the tax collectors and the sinners and the other group at this time were the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. And that gives us a little clarity as we walk through uh, these three stories and what that means. And so Jesus uh, is illustrating something um, in the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the last story, the lost sons that we commonly refer to as the story of the prodigal son. But as we found, that word prodigal does not mean wayward or lost. That word prodigal means to be excessive, to be a spendthrift. Um, and so that is referring to the way that the, the lost son, the younger brother, uh, spent his money when we call him a prodigal. And I know in our culture and churches, we refer to prodigals as those who are away from God, but that's not correct. And so we call prodigal God because of the way he was excessive in his love and forgiveness and mercy toward the son as he returned home and even to the elder brother that was at home. And in this story, we're redefining what it means to be lost. The, it's no secret that the tax collectors and sinners around Jesus are an example of the lost younger brother in this story. And it's no secret that the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law correspond to the elder brother in Jesus' story. But what Jesus is doing is he's offering up a whole new paradigm of what it means to be lost. Because for them and for many of us who've attended church a long time, to be lost means to be outside of church. But what Jesus is saying is, you can be in church all of your life, you can tithe, you can be in ministry, you can do a lot of religious activity and still be lost. It's the elder brother lostness that Jesus is talking about. And the idea of motivation and what has captured our hearts is really what we kind of unpacked last week. But today, we're gonna to look a little bit closer at this elder brother. And I know that uh, some of what I'm gonna to share today is gonna to be a repeat and some people are gonna maybe think that, well, you know, this is kind of repetitive. But can I tell you, Jeremiah chapter 17, nine says, the heart is deceitful above all else. And there are those of us that can sit in this room and probably read this book and hear every one of these messages and be elder brother-ish, but because we never allow the Holy Spirit to actually open up our hearts, we might miss that. Or we're not willing to admit it. And so I've prayed over these last week, this last week especially, that as we take a closer look at this younger, or this older brother, this elder brother, that the Holy Spirit would give us the courage to allow him into our hearts today. And how appropriate that we sang the song, Lord, I give you my heart. 
for the sake of time, we're not going to read the whole parable. We've read through this entire chapter um, several times over the last few weeks. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 15, verse 25. We're just going to pick up the story where the older brother comes back into the story. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive He was lost and is found. The feast that is going on in this parable is the feast of the Father or a type of salvation, if you will. And so the reason that we took communion at the end of the service last week and the reason that we'll allow you that opportunity again this week is because this is what the Father is inviting us to, all of us, to this feast. But if we look at this parable, it should uh, cause us maybe a little bit of alarm that the younger brother who squandered the father's wealth, who lived uh, among prostitutes and wasted and was clearly lost, was at the feast. And the elder brother who by all intents and purposes looked very good, wasn't. Not because he wasn't invited, but because in his own words, he refused to go in. Jesus is redefining this idea of what it means to be lost. For the younger son, lost is easy to see. He's in the pigsty. Because of his self-indulgence, because of his undisciplined life, because of his foolishness, his life has become basically a dead end. It's become a place where everything has collapsed around him, and he's find himself to the place where he's lost his way, and now he's come to his senses, and he's going to return home and try to rebuild his life. And that idea of lostness, none of us would argue with. We all see it. We all understand it. Everyone that Jesus is telling this story to would have saw it, but Jesus wants us to discern, to discern there's a another type of lostness that's not so easily recognizable. It's a little more subtle. It can be very deceptive, but it's equally destructive. I don't want us to misunderstand this. Jesus isn't trying to point out that there's a small flaw in the life of the elder brother that maybe just needs to be corrected. There's lostness just as much as the the lost brother sitting in a pigsty was away from the father, so is the elder brother who sat in the church pew away from the father. And if we don't understand that, we might miss what Jesus is trying to teach us. The younger brother was rebellious, he was self-indulgent, he wanted to do things his own way. His lostness is defined by breaking all the rules and being bad, but the elder brother is a good one. He's very moral, he's very upright, but he's very self-sufficient. 
And because of that, he's kind of harsh toward the younger brother who doesn't quite measure up. Now, some of us in this room may identify with the younger brother. Some of us in this room may identify with the elder brother. But most of us in this room probably identify with somewhere along the spectrum. Okay, maybe we're not a full-fledged younger brother away from God. Maybe we're not a full-fledged elder brother away from God. But we probably fall somewhere on that line. See, I know what it's like to be a younger brother. I was a younger brother. I was raised in church, but I got to a place in my teen years where I wanted to make my own choices, and I wanted to do things my way. I had a foul mouth. I, was, I let immorality go unchecked in my life. I was just, I didn't worry. Uh, I played a game, though. I looked good for others, but I did my own thing, and I found myself one day in a pigsty in a security office in a department store in the town I grew up in wondering, how did I get here? And as a result of that, I did a little bit of soul searching. And so I decided to, uh, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to maybe revive what I felt in my younger years before I had gone my own way. I felt like God had called me into ministry, that he wanted me to go to Bible college. And so in this place of, you know, trying to find myself, I in some way made a bargain with God. Uh, I didn't realize I was making a bargain with God. I was trying to straighten out my life, but I was trying to straighten out my life my way. And so I went to the library and I, I bought this book and I, I alluded to it a few weeks ago. This is how I found Trinity Bible College in Ellendale, North Dakota. Okay, so if you can't see the hand of God in that, I don't know, you know, because I grew up in Altoona, Pennsylvania, and somehow I ended up in Ellendale, North Dakota at a Bible school that's just one page in this book, okay? That's how I found it, one afternoon in the library because I realized I was in a pigsty, and so just like the younger brother, here, Father, I'm gonna prepare my speech. I'm not worthy to be your son, but let me, uh, let me show you my worthiness by going to Bible school. And you'll, you guessed it, I went clear to the other end of that pendulum and I became an elder brother. And now it was all about what I did. And I became lost in my goodness and my morality and in Bible school. And one day I had an encounter with the Lord that set me free. But I promise you, I struggle more with becoming elder brotherish than I do younger brotherish. I don't really struggle, struggle with the fact that I just want to do it my way and scrap what God says and just run and live in a pigsty again. I've tried that. It doesn't work. But I constantly have to battle walking towards the elder brother mindset where I can just take care of it on my own. And so when I first read The Prodigal God, several years ago, uh, it did a work in my heart and in my life, and I read it again last year, and I wanted to, to, to share this series with us because I believe, like me, many of you find yourself in that same struggle, in that same battle, because we're good people, we're moral people, but many times we can slip into a lostness that we're not even aware of, and so as we look at this younger brother, there's five characteristics, or this elder brother, there's five characteristics that we can see in his responses that might give us a picture. Now, you're gonna be tempted 
to look at some of these and think, well, let's cut the elder brother some slack. Maybe he was just having a bad day. I mean, maybe he only responded that way because he was just overwhelmed in the emotion of the moment. But you know, what we like to do is we like to cut ourselves some slack. Whenever the pressure is on in our lives and we say things or we do things that seem out of character for us, we like to make excuses for those things. But the scripture says those things that come out of our mouths or out of our lives when the pressure's on actually reveal what's been in our heart all along. And God doesn't say that to us because he doesn't love us. He doesn't say that to us because he wants to be mean to us. He wants to say that to us because the heart is deceitful. And if we're not careful, we'll allow those things to remain in our hearts. So the first thing that we see in the elder brother's response is anger. Verse 28, he became angry and all of his words drip with resentment if you read the speech that he gives everything he says is filled with this deep anger and bitterness see elder brothers when life doesn't go the way that we want we don't just become sorrowful we become angry and we become bitter Because elder brothers believe, if I live a good life, I deserve a good life. And so when something happens to me that I don't feel I deserve or doesn't match up with my output, I get angry. I get angry at God because I believe God owes me something. He, He owes me a better treatment than I'm getting. Sometimes we get angry at ourselves as elder brothers because we've fallen short of our own standards. We judge the things that are happening to us as a result or a punishment because our behavior doesn't measure up because we think that God... God is somehow up in heaven waiting to to smite us. I know that he's given us the cross. I know that he's given us grace, but he expects more from us. And as a result of that, elder brothers can become very angry at themselves. Not only that, but we can become very angry at our brothers and sisters because they're not carrying their load. And so many times we can look at people in the church that maybe aren't measuring up to our standard and we become very angry and resentful toward them. The good life for the elder brother is not lived for God, it's lived for themselves. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, who was a missionary in Ecuador who was martyred, many years ago they made the movie The End of the Spear uh, depicting his life. And Jim Elliott, many of his journals talk about how um, he was so willing to give his life, but his wife struggled, as many of us would, when, you know, you give your lives uh, in Ecuador to spread the gospel among a people who've never heard it. How can God repay that by allowing your husband to be taken from you? And so in the process of wrestling with her grief, she writes a parable. Uh, This isn't in the Bible, this is the words of Elizabeth Elliot, but I think it depicts for us uh, a great idea of this elder brother mindset. One day, she writes, Jesus said to his disciples, follow me. He said, I'd like you to carry a stone for me today. And he didn't give any further explanation. So the disciples look around for stones to carry, and Peter, being the practical sort, sought out the smallest stone that he could possibly find so it wouldn't be laborsome or burdensome. After all, Jesus didn't give any regulations for weight and size. So he picks up his stone and he puts it in his pocket. Jesus then leads them on a journey. At about noontime, Jesus had everyone sit down and he waved his hand so that all of their stones turned into bread. He said, now it's time for lunch. 
Those with bigger stones obviously had bigger lunches, but because Peter had picked up a small stone, he had a small lunch. When lunch was over, Jesus told them to stand up and again said, follow me. I'd like you to carry a stone for me today. This time, Peter, aha, I know what to do. So he looks around and he picks up a boulder. He hoists it onto his back, and even though it's painful and makes him stagger, he continues to help himself by saying, I just can't wait for supper. Of course, Jesus leads them on a journey with Peter barely able to keep up, and around supper time, Jesus led them to the side of the river. He says to them, everyone throw your stone into the water, and they did. Then he said, follow me, and began to walk. Peter and the others looked at him dumbfounded, and Jesus, sensing their confusion and anger, asks them, who were you carrying the stone for? Were you carrying the stone for you, or were you carrying it for me? Because if you're carrying it for me, it doesn't matter what I ask you to do with it. So the question we need to ask is are we in this for him, or are we in this for ourselves? Elder brothers expect their goodness to pay off. And if it doesn't, there's confusion and there's anger. And we will always feel as an elder brother like we're owed more than we're getting, and we'll always think that someone else is getting something we deserve. But we have to remember we're in this for him. The second thing that elder brothers have in their hearts is a superiority or a pride. In verse number 30, he refers to his brother as this son of yours. The elder brother points out how much better his record is over the younger brother. He uses very disdainful language to describe the father's other son. He doesn't even refer to him as his brother. See, elder brothers base their self-image on being very hardworking, being very moral, being members of an elite group. I don't know that we would ever vocalize it, but our words and our actions many times reveal it. This idea in our minds leads to us feeling superior to those who do not have these qualities. Elder brothers many times will use comparison to build their own self-image. In the lives of elder brothers, many times we will find racism, classism, or sexism because these lesser groups are inferior to us. We believe as elder brothers that God favors us because of our correct doctrine, because of our correct ways of worship, because of our ethical behavior, and as a result of that, elder brothers can be very hostile toward those who disagree with them. Elder brothers will have a self-righteousness that's masked in the idea that they're opposing God's enemies. They'll be very hard on the younger brother types in the world, and they'll justify it by claiming to be against the enemies of God. But as Jesus tells us in this parable, the tax collectors and the, the sinners that were around him were not his enemies. There's a coldness 
toward younger brothers. Because after all, we as elder brothers would never do anything that bad. That leads to the third characteristic is that elder brothers many times will have an unforgiving or judgmental spirit. In verse 28, the scripture says, he refused to go in. See, elder brothers cannot forgive younger brothers for the way they've hurt the family, or I should probably say for the way they've hurt us. See, elder brothers have a hard time forgiving younger brothers because we feel superior to them. And it's impossible to forgive someone that you feel superior to. And so elder brothers are trapped by their own bitterness. If the elder brother in this story had known his own heart, he would have known he was just as self-centered as the younger brother. He would know that he has caused his father just as much grief as the younger son. And as a result of knowing his heart, he would have had the freedom to offer the same forgiveness to his younger brother that the father did. But elder brothers don't see themselves that way. It should alarm us how many churches across our nation have people who sit in church pews week after week after week after week and refuse to offer forgiveness to people in the same room with them. We'll say things like, I'm working through it to justify our anger and our bitterness, but it ultimately stems from a sense of superiority and pride. Now, I won't deny that restoration many times in our lives is a process, but restoration begins with the choice to forgive. And that choice is an immediate decision on our part. Not because we feel like it, but because we understand what has been given to us. Jesus many times gives us harsh words in the scriptures that if we refuse to deal or to forgive our brothers from our heart, our heavenly father will not be able to forgive us. Too often there's a refusal to talk to or deal with someone else in the body of Christ and that should be like a warning light on our dashboard. As I alluded to earlier, many times in our lives, when people wrong us, something comes out of our hearts, through our mouths, and we justify that that's not really who we are, and that we were only made to act that way because of what someone else did to us. When in reality, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if I take scripture at face value, everything that comes out of my mouth has been entertained in my heart. <laughs> and I know that that's not a great place to say amen because that's, that's a hard reality to deal with. But again, let me remind you that the Father already knew that stuff was in our hearts when he offered salvation to us in the first place. 
But so many of us, like the elder brother, try to control our words and try to control our mouths and try to control our lives and our actions when in reality, we should just be crying out to God to control our hearts or literally to transform our hearts and fill it with his love. Because if my heart is good, I don't have to worry about what's gonna come out of my mouth. I don't have to watch the words that are gonna come out of my mouth today because the heart is good. And when things come out of my mouth that I don't like, the question is, will I face the reality of that and run to him for forgiveness and for grace and for mercy that he'll already be running towards me to give or will I harden my heart and blame the younger brother? See, the word of God is supposed to be a mirror that helps us to see what's going on inside our hearts so that we can be in a more right relationship with our Father than we were before. And Jesus is telling this parable for that reason. <clears throat> the fourth characteristic of an elder brother, some of you are like, just stop at three. <laughs> I, feel like start, I felt like starting this service today with, hi, my name is Tom, and I'm an elder brother. <laughs> I would have said a recovering elder brother. <clears throat> In verse 29, the elder brother says, I've been slaving for you. You see, the elder brother boasts about his obedience, but his motivation isn't love. The word look in this passage of scripture may be something that you and I overlook, but in that culture, for a son to begin a statement to his father with the word look would have been a great sign of disrespect and dishonor. So the motivation for all of his years of service at home wasn't his love for the Father. It was ultimately for himself. The word slave carries with it the idea of being forced or pushed into something. Now, no doubt, all of us in this room understand that if we make a commitment to do something, that every once in a while, there's gonna be a part of us that doesn't want to follow through on that commitment. But just because of the integrity of our lives and hearts, we will just do what we don't feel like doing. It requires a certain amount of discipline, if you will. But elder brothers don't just require a certain amount of discipline. They do everything they do out of a sense of duty or out of a sense of that they're afraid of what happens if they don't. They're not doing what they do because they're overwhelmed with the love that the Father has for them. They're doing it because they're afraid of what happens if they don't or because they want some level of benefit for themselves. Elder brothers are very strict in their compliance to moral standards. They will strictly adhere to family and community traditions. They'll be even very responsible in civic responsibilities, but elder brothers generally don't have joy in their service, love for their father or the ones that they're serving, or the reward of just pleasing the Father. Elder brothers will do what is right, 
but on a deeper level, the reason is so that God will bless them or so that they'll be seen as morally upright people to boost their own self-esteem. Tim Keller in the book, The Prodigal God, recounts another story. And I figure since Jesus told parables, it's probably good to tell stories. So once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. And he took it to his king and said, my Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. And so therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. And as he turned to go, the king cried, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all of this. He said, my goodness, if this is what you get for a carrot, what will, what will happen if you give the king something better? So the next day, the nobleman came before the king, leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, my Lord, I breed horses. This is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will breed. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king also discerned this man's heart and said, thank you, took the horse and dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed. So the king said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. See, elder brothers will do good for others, but not out of the, 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 the delight of doing good for others or because they love people or the pleasure it brings God himself. They'll feed the hungry and they'll clothe the poor but in reality, they're feeding themselves and clothing themselves. The motivation is what they're going to gain. It's easy to fall into this trap. But let me tell you that evangelism to grow our church or save our nation is different than evangelism to grow the kingdom or share the love of God. Evangelism, because we want our church to be larger or because we want our nation to be better so that life goes better for us is far different than evangelism because we love those that are perishing and we love God who loves them. Christ didn't die for us on the cross just to one-up the devil. He did it because he loved us. The problem with ministry that's done or obedience that's done joylessly or mechanically is that it does nothing to destroy the self-centeredness of our own hearts. And therein lies the problem. See, we can clean up our speech and we can clean up our actions, but if we don't clean up the self-centeredness of our own hearts, it creeps out in other areas. Why do you think that so many of our churches today are plagued with gossip and fighting? James chapter four tells us that these things come from our own selfish desires. 
And so if gossip or fighting or slander plagues you in your life, the problem is not your tongue. The problem is the self-centeredness of your own heart. The last characteristic, and probably the most important, is the lack of assurance of God's love. You could just say the word insecurity. The younger brother in verse 29 makes the statement, you never gave me. Look at all I've done for you and you've never celebrated me. And as long as you and I try to earn our standing with God, we will never be sure that it's enough. Because every time something goes wrong in our lives, we're gonna question if it's a result of us not living right. When we lack the assurance of God's love, we become very insecure. And we try to fill that insecurity or assurance in some level of self-image that we portray in our actions. Tim Keller, in the book, makes the statement as a a way to talk about this lack of assurance of the, the love of the Father. He says a sign of it is that criticism doesn't just hurt our feelings, but it devastates us. See, if we don't understand God's love, we need the approval of others to give us value. So even constructive criticism that's given to us sends us into a tailspin. Because if I'm doing it wrong, And if I'm not measuring up, I'm not approved. This comes with an overwhelming sense of guilt and the conscience of elder brothers torments them long after they repent. We're never sure that we've actually repented enough. But probably the clearest symptom of whether or not we have an assurance of God's love is our prayer life. Elder brothers will either have no prayer life at all or their prayer life will be very dry, very mechanical, very business-like. A lot of petition, a lot of asking, but not a lot of adoration, not a, a lot of waiting, not a lot of communion. So these characteristics that we see in the elder brother like a mirror in our lives today are addressing you and I. See, in the story, Jesus is appealing to both groups that he's talking to. The elder brothers, this is a wake-up call. If you know that you're sick, you're gonna go to the doctor, but if you don't believe you're sick, you won't go to the doctor. And so Jesus tells this story because he wants us to see the condition of our hearts. Not because he's not extending salvation. Not because he's not extending an invitation to the feast. But because many of us are refusing to go in even though we pick up a cup and a cracker every week. Elder brothers won't go to healing won't go to God for healing from their condition because our hearts have been deceived and we don't know that that even exists. So Jesus offers this story as a bold challenge in the face of people that are trying to kill him. 
He challenges them with the idea that they've misunderstood God's salvation, they've misunderstood God's purpose in the world, and they have actually trampled on the very heart of the Father. I don't know about you, but I don't know if that's a good idea to challenge your enemies in that way. But I don't want you to miss the fact that Jesus also offered tenderness and love because the father goes out to the elder brother and pleads with him to come in. That's a foreshadowing of Jesus' statement on the cross where he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus is also addressing the younger brothers, not because they're away from God, because many younger brothers realize they're away from God. But what keeps many younger brothers from coming to the Father is the judgment of the elder brothers. And Jesus is trying to assure the younger brothers that he's not inviting them to a joyless, mechanical life of obedience, but a relationship with full standing as sons and daughters of God. Tim Keller in the book talks about an entire generation of believers today that has been turned into younger brothers by elder brothers in the church. If you don't know, Tim Keller pastors a Presbyterian church in New York City, and he has witnessed many who come out of the heartland, many younger brothers who were raised in church, but because of the joyless mechanical obedience, because of the anger and the pride and the lack of assurance of the Father's love that so permeated the church that they grew up in, many of them run completely away from that and run into the younger brother lifestyle. And many of them respond to this teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the grace that's offered. Tim and I are not trashing the idea of holiness. In fact, in many churches in years past, the holiness that was a part of people's lives was a direct result of their response to the Father's love. They were overwhelmed with what God had done for them, and so they, out of gratitude, offered their lives back to him to mimic him, who he was they wanted to be on the earth. But somewhere along the line, we started to pass on the rules without the relationship. So we tried to conform the next generation to the rules of the family without an encounter with the love of the Father. All of us need a fresh encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna ask that we, we're just gonna close the service this way. I'm gonna ask that you bow your heads just for a moment with me. I believe the word has already held up a mirror to reveal our hearts. I believe that many of you are wrestling with this idea in your own hearts, even now. I wanna remind you that I sit before you today as a recovering elder brother, constantly facing this in my own life. I've read the book twice before we started reading it together. And so as we started reading it this third time for me, 
I felt like I had a pretty good grasp on some things. But the interesting thing is, is as you allow the Father to maybe skim some things off of your heart the first time through, it just reveals the layers of self-centeredness and pride that many times exist in our hearts. I hope that today I've communicated to you that there is a Father in heaven that loves every one of us in this room, younger brother or elder brother. And he's appealing to us to come to the table today in a fresh way. If the word of God today has revealed in your heart anger or pride, unforgiveness, criticalness, that joyless, mechanical, cold obedience, insecurity, maybe you lack the assurance of God's love, I tell you, the burden of the elder brother is a heavy one to carry. And Jesus came to the cross so that you and I would never have to carry that. But sometimes it gets so rooted in our hearts that we don't recognize it or we're afraid to admit it. In the book, Tim Keller says that elder brothers have an undercurrent of anger toward their life circumstances. They hold grudges long and bitterly. They look down at people of other races or religions and lifestyles. They experience life as a joyless, crushing drudgery They have very little intimacy and joy in their prayer lives. They have a deep insecurity that makes them very oversensitive to criticism and rejection. Yet they have a fierce and merciless attitude in condemning others. Jesus didn't tell this parable to browbeat you. He told this parable because he knows you must be exhausted. He knows that you must be tired of trying to fulfill an obligation that you never will be able to fulfill. And so next week as we talk about the true elder brother and what Christ has done for us, we'll get a clearer picture of why he willingly went to the cross for you and I. And so today, there's gonna be an invitation to this table. And if you're in this room and you're a younger brother and your life is marked by rebellion, you are away from God, you are living by your own choices and decisions and not by the things that God has showed us in his word. You, like the younger brother, feel like you can do it your own way. And younger brothers can come and sit in church pews week after week too.
But Monday through Saturday, they live in the pigsty. If you're in this room today and you're a younger brother, my prayer is the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to see that condition, to see the love of the Father who waits for you to come to this table today. If you're an elder brother, marked by the characteristics of anger and pride and bitterness, coldness and insecurity, my prayer is that you would be brave enough to say today that I've seen something in the mirror that I don't like. And so Holy Spirit, I need you to do some heart surgery today. I don't wanna try any longer to just conform my words or my actions to you. I want you to conform my heart to you so that out of the good things that are stored in my heart, good things flow. If you're in this room and you you would say, I'm a younger brother, and today I wanna come home. Would you slip up your hand and say, that's me. Pastor, I'm a younger brother, I'm away from God, I'm doing it my way, and I wanna come back. Anyone else? Maybe you're afraid to come back because maybe you at some point in your life have been mistreated by an older brother. Well, on behalf of elder brothers everywhere, let me apologize to you. Let me invite you to this table. Younger brothers, if you're here and you want to come home, slip up your hand and say, I'm coming home. You're not doing it for me. You're not doing it for people around you. No one's even watching you. You're doing it for him. I'm coming home. If you're in this room, and whether you're a full-fledged elder brother, or maybe you just lean elder brother-ish, if you would be honest enough to say that today seen some things in the mirror that I don't like. And so I'm going to stop refusing to go in. And today I'm going to come into the feast. And I want a fresh understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If that's you, just slip up your hand and put it right back down. Say, pray for me.
promise you at this table today, you'll find a father much like that father in the story running towards you. I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come and prepare for ministry. This is how we're going to close today. This table is here. And I want you to feel free to come and partake. If you want to partake alone, if you want to partake with a friend, if you want to partake with your spouse, a parent, a child, however you feel the Lord leads you to do it, we're going to give you the freedom to do that. If you're a younger brother and you raised your hand today and you said, I need to come back home, I want to encourage you to find a member of this prayer team after you've received the elements and tell them that. Let them have the opportunity to pray with you through that process. If you're an elder brother, the prayer team is available to you. If you want someone to pray with you, if you need prayer for something not related to elder brother, you need healing, you need God to show up in a circumstance, we're available to you in any way that you need today. But I'm gonna close in prayer here in just a moment. And after I do, this table is open and I want you to come and receive the elements and partake. And then I want you just to feel free to be dismissed as you need to. Uh, Do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer. I know that there are some that are gonna wait a while. There's gonna be some that maybe don't need to stay as long. But uh, as you are directed by the Lord, we release you to go. And so Father, I thank you for the love that you have displayed toward us, not just in this story, but at the cross. While we were your enemies, you demonstrated the love that you have for us. And so Father, I pray for all of us in this room today, that as we partake of these elements, as we come to this table, and as we remember again what you've done for us, Holy Spirit, would you in some way give us a fresh understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give us a fresh understanding of what it is to be uh, your child in your home. For those younger brothers, I pray today for a welcoming sense of your presence. For elder brothers today, I pray that you would strip away, God, the things in our hearts that have kept us from having intimacy with you. God, we've had that opportunity all along, but we failed to experience it because of our own choices, because of our own mindsets, because of the own self-centeredness in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, strip those things away and cause us to taste salvation freshly and freely today. Now, Father, I pray your blessing on this congregation today. I ask that you would bless them and keep them pray that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you would be gracious to them, that you'd lift up your countenance upon them and that you'd give them peace. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, this table is available. Our prayer team is available. When you're ready to be dismissed, God bless you as you go.